This morning we go to the very end of the Bible, to Revelation chapter 21, the first five verses. And I looked, and I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God in heaven, and uh, adorned and dressed as beautifully prepared as a bride for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying that, that God will wipe away every tear from the eyes and that there will be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain for the old order of things has passed away. Behold, the dwelling of the Lord is with his people and he will be with them. He will be their God. They will be his people and he will dwell with them. And I heard a voice from the throne say, Behold, I am making all things new. And the voice said, Write these words down, for they are trustworthy and true. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. It's always made me a little nervous when my friend and and colleague Scott Hare says, that the way to read the Bible is from garden to garden. From the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 1 all the way to the Garden in Revelation chapter 21 and 22. And that makes me nervous because as my wife will attest, I don't know very much about gardening. In fact, about all I do is I pull the weeds and I only pull the weeds that she has identified for me clearly as weeds. You see, I, I'm, a, I'm a city boy. And raised in the city and lived most of my life in the city. And so I was really relieved to find out that you read the Bible not just garden to garden, but in more particular, you read it from the Garden of Eden to that garden that is in the city of the New Jerusalem, the holy city of God. So with apologies to Scott, I'd like to modify the way we read this Bible today. And I'd like to remind us that the garden that we find in Revelation 21 and 22 is a garden placed firmly within the city. And it is like the Garden of Eden on steroids. Not only is there one tree of life, there are two trees of life. And they're on each side of the water that flows from the throne. And their leaves from these trees bring healing, not just to people, to individuals, but to nations. And uh, there's no death, no crying, no mourn, no mourning, no pain. And there's no need for light as there was in the Garden of Eden because God, God's own self, is the light. And you don't have to wait as you did in the Garden of Eden in the cool of the day to God, for God to come walking so you can visit with God. Because God is dwelling there in your midst all the time. This is some kind of garden that is located in the city. And I think the Bible really teaches that it's a mistake to try to go back to what God did in the Garden of Eden. You may remember that God actually put a guard there and the flame and the sword to keep people from trying to get back into the Garden of Eden. You'll probably also remember that God never even bothered to tell us where the Garden of Eden was located. And you might say, well, that's a metaphor. Well, God didn't even... Give us the geographical location of the metaphor. God does not intend us to look backwards. 
God intends us to look forward in human history to what God is doing. And what God is doing is culminating in this new garden, in this wonderful city. And to go back and to long for what was and try to figure out how we can get back to what was is simply not in alignment with God's will. And, and I've just really had a problem with people doing it. I think the problem goes back about 12 years. There was a, um, a, a conference in town that a number of churches got together uh, to sponsor, and I was the last speaker on Friday night. So I knew that was a little bit of trouble. Uh, but I was scheduled to speak at 8.30, so that, that, that's tolerable. Well, the speaker in front of me decided to change his topic. And he announced something very exciting that he had discovered the exact location geographically of the Garden of Eden. And for the next hour and a half proceeded to show us how he came to that conclusion. And so when I stood up about a quarter till ten, there were about eight of us left for an amazing sermon that I delivered. Ever since then, I've really wondered about that venture. I don't think God points us back to the garden. God points us to the garden that is in the city. Now, when I say that, I I need to be truthful with you and tell you the city has got kind of a checkered reputation in the Bible. A city's not always good. In fact, do you know who started the first city? I'll give you a hint. He killed his brother. Cain. Cain started the first city. And so what happened was when he killed his brother, God's punishment for Cain was, you are going to be a wanderer and a fugitive. Well, like every decent sinner like myself, he's figured out a way to beat the system. And he goes, I ain't wandering. I'll build a city. I'll take care of myself. I can beat this thing that God has handed out to me. And so he builds that first city. The second city that we read about in the Bible is called Babel. And basically, the people have been consigned to live on earth as God's creatures and, and uh, God's children. And, and, God, and they decide that's not good enough. They don't like those boundaries. They want to reach all the way to heaven. So they build this ziggurat, this city that goes all the way to the heavens out of their pride. And out of they want, them wanting to demonstrate their power and abilities. Then the third city we read much about in the Bible is the city of Babylon. The city of Babylon was a great city, but the city of Babylon was filled with the slaves of, uh, that were Jewish people that Babylon had carted from Rome, the holy, I mean from Jerusalem, the holy city, hauled them to Babylon and made slaves of everyone who was still young enough and strong enough to do any work for the city and for the empire. And you may remember that great psalm that said, by the rivers of Babylon we sat and wept. How are we going to be God's people in the midst of this city? And then in the New Testament, of course, you get to the city of all cities, the mother of all cities, Rome. And you read in Revelation about Rome and that Rome actually um, serves the emperor. But if you look closely behind the curtain, pulling the emperor's leash and chains is the evil one himself. And so Rome becomes an incarnation of evil as it oppresses God's people and works against God's plan for the world. That's the cities. And so it's amazing when you get to Revelation 21 and 22, it's like God says, I'm going to do the city and I'm going to do it right. And I'm going to show you how a city is supposed to be. Now, before we look at it, let's at least for a moment look at how a city can go wrong. And if you look at Cain and you look at Babel and Babylon and Rome, you realize a city goes wrong when they are more interested in themselves and their plans and their power and their reputation and their security and their prosperity than they are interested in in what God wants or interested in God's people. 
Now, it's not in the Bible, but uh, among the rabbinical traditions about building the Tower of Babel, for example, is that a number of people died in building this tower, as, as you might imagine, number of workplace accidents. And it said they didn't grieve in Babel over the people that died building this tower, but rather they grieved every time a brick would accidentally slip off, fall to the ground, and break. They would cry over half to getting another brick. They care more about bricks than people. More about their reputation, their prosperity, their security. And anytime you get that going, that is a city that has gone wrong. And so a city that tries to build out of its own strength, plans, wisdom, and power for its own purposes, that's when cities go bad. And the Bible is pretty clear what ha- about what happens to, to those kinds of cities. Well, what happened to Cain? Well, it doesn't exactly say in the Bible, but one of the rabbinical traditions that I love about Cain um, are, uh, because I think of the point, not what happened, but the point it teaches is it says that Cain died when the house that he built in the city fell on him. When the stones fell on him from the house. The thing he used to shield himself from God and to show God that he knew a better way actually turned and got him in the end. You know what happened to the city of Babel. The communication system got all messed up and the people that wanted to be all one in heaven ended up scattered all over the earth. And then you know what happened to Babylon. God called a servant. He said, my anointed, his name was Cyrus. He was a Persian emperor. Turned them against Babylon and they conquered Babylon. And then in the New Testament in Revelation, we read that Rome and all future Romes that work together for their own purposes against God will fall. So basically, when we try to do the city for our own purposes and our own ways against God, destruction is the inevitable result. Which raises the question, well, what's the right way to do a city? How does God want to do it? And some of what I see is this. Cities, that the city of God is something that is God's idea, and God initiates it, and God is the primary um, builder and architect. Now, we have something to do, and I'll get to that in a moment, but basically it's not our idea of what we're going to do for our own selves, but God's idea of what needs to be done. So first of all, it follows God. Second of all, the purpose of this city is for the healing and the blessing of everybody not with, that of everybody within and without, outside the city. It is to be a blessing, which is what the entire nation of Israel was supposed to be in the beginning. It is for blessing, not for our own purposes, but the purposes of blessing others. And the other interesting thing about the city is it's primarily about relationship. Relationship not just with God, who is our light and the primary inhabitant of that city, but our relationship with each other. One of the beautiful things Revelation 22 says is that the leaves from the tree of life heal the nations. I mean, can you imagine not only do people, individual people get along, but nations get along? That's what happens in the city. It's what God does to bless people and to get people together. And what Revelation simply says is that city's coming. Now, that city is a metaphor. I mean, that that city is a metaphor to talk about God's kingdom and how God works. And and so one of the answers is, well, you know, how do we get there? How do we get to be a part of that? How do we march to Zion, as the song goes? And uh, to do this, to talk about it, I think you need to remember there are a number of different ways in the Bible, metaphors, that talk about how God works in the world. Um, And one of them is kingdom. And, 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 And the city is an example of that. 
Another one is sort of an agricultural metaphor, that one of the ways God works is just like a seed, and you put the seed in the ground, and then the seed comes up as something better and bigger and healthier and stronger. Now, what has happened when it comes to the new Jerusalem and it comes to this kingdom God's building is we've all grabbed a hold of that metaphor. And so when you talk to somebody about getting to heaven, they think immediately, well, I've got to die. All I've got to do is just die if I can hold out long enough on this trash heap of earth. You know, if I can just wait it out and get there, I'm there. Or if I can just enjoy and get mine as long as I can, and then I'll get to heaven and have even more. It's a win-win. That's from that agricultural metaphor, and it's not wrong. But it's incomplete because there are other metaphors the Bible uses. Another metaphor that comes out of the mouth of Jesus and out of the mouth of Paul is they both like to talk about new birth. That what God is doing is like a pregnancy. And so Paul even says all the creations in labor pain waiting to see all this kingdom and this new heaven that God is bringing about. And then another one is the engagement or wedding. And you'll, and you'll hear Jesus talk about this, and you'll hear Paul talk about um, uh, the church as a bride. You'll see Revelation talk about the bride of Christ. And we even heard it uh, today in chapter 21. And it's like there's an engagement, and then one day there'll be that wedding, and they'll be happily ever after. But here's the thing. To enjoy a birth... And to enjoy a wedding, you don't die. You live to enjoy those things. How do you become a part of heaven? One answer might be dying, but that's not the best answer. The best answer is living. Let me give you a couple examples how this works. That when, when, when someone is pregnant um, and they find out they're pregnant, that's not like the end of the story. They don't say, well, okay, I just got to wait. You know, I'll wait until the 40 weeks is finished and then that's it. And we're done. Well, you know better than this if you've been around somebody who's pregnant or you've had children yourself. Or um, Matt mentioned um, our own Stephanie uh, had her baby this weekend. And, and I know Stephanie well enough that I assure you that when Stephanie found out she was pregnant, she didn't just quit doing everything. She had to think about what she was going to take into her body and what she was no longer going to take into her body during this pregnancy. She had to think about what the room would be like and the plans would be like to welcome this child. And God knows, I'm sure she thought about how soon can we get my mother here. I mean, there are things to be done so that when the birth happens, it not only takes in the birth event, but it takes in everything that led up to it. Let's try the engagement one. Uh, Our oldest son got engaged a little over a year ago, and the wedding is four weeks away. I assure you that there has been some activity in the last 12 months. I have an upstairs room completely filled with that activity. The, the marriage itself, the wedding service, doesn't happen with all, without all this work and preparation. You don't just announce it and it happens. There's that announcement and there's the participation in the event that is coming. And part of what the event is, is all gift from God, but part of God, I mean, is all gift from God, but part of that is what God allows us to do. So that the new city, the new kingdom, the new birth, this new bride is all coming, but we're not just sitting there. We actually get to participate in it. We, just as we would actively participate in planning for a wedding or planning for the birth of a child. And so when you talk about the city of God coming, it is what God does. But since God is not bound by time or space, since the present and future are all one to God, and, and the veil between earth and heaven is so thin, then 
this amazing realization comes true that anything we do now is a part of the city that comes, can I say then, or whenever it comes. Anything we do now to bless, that participates in the blessing of other people, the healing of other people, the reconciliation between people, the unity between people and nations, anything we do in that is a part of what God is doing to build this new city. We get a role to play. And we play it, and then God takes it, and then makes it a part of all that is going to happen and all that is going to come. Let me say it another way. Anybody know what Jesus did for a living? Same thing his dad did. He was a, don't be shy, carpenter. And I know you know, because I've told you before, that there's not much wood in Israel. So more than likely, since Jesus uh, grew up about three miles from a massive quarry, Jesus was likely, like his dad, a stonemason. Somebody who cut stones that put in to something else that an architect was building. And he didn't have the say about where it would go or when it would be put in that building. His job was just to cut the stone. In the same way, we build for that city, as Hebrews says, whose architect and builder is God. And when we help someone in need, when we pray for someone's healing, when we reach out to the lonely, when we travel to Kenya, when we do any of these things, we are crafting a stone in the new city. And it is not our job to say how it goes in there or when it goes in there or where it gets put in. But we know that it will be used in that way. This is what Jesus said from the throne. He said, Behold, I am making all things new. What he didn't say is, I'm making all new things. And so I think a lot of us just say, well, it doesn't matter about this earth. doesn't matter what we do. Just hopefully we can die and we can go to that place with streets of gold and all that. And, and it's all new and it's all great. Well, that would be all new things. Not what Jesus said. He said, I'm making all things new. So where do you think those streets of gold come from? They come from the very cobblestones that you and I have worked on in our relationships with our family or other people. Where do you think those gates come from? Where do the bricks in the city come from? They are coming from our efforts that God takes and uses and makes even better than we can imagine, just as God took the original garden and made it even better. So that you and I, we're not waiting for heaven. We're working with God on the heaven that God is building. And when we pray, and when we sing, and when we laugh, and when we love, and when we share, it's another brick. It's a brick for the city. A city in which one day we will all live.